0: Chapter 24 Nights of the Full Moon There must be a full moon tonight, Joe thought. He looked skyward for confirmation, but thick gray clouds had rolled in, so he couldn't be sure either way. Hi, Joe, a voice rang out. Joe turned and waved as his friend Dan Harmony approached. Hey, Dan, Joe said. Despite their exchange, their meeting was anything but friendly. Dan had called him about half an hour ago, and asked to meet in the small forest grove, where some of the kids liked to party. Dan hadn't really given him any sort of specifics, so Joe had no idea what to expect. He only knew his friend sounded both embarrassed, and a little afraid over the phone. Looks like rain, Dan said. And ever the Boy Scout, he had put on a poncho over his state trooper's uniform, in preparation for the oncoming storm. Yep, Joe said, playing along. He could tell his friend was stalling, as the young trooper kept looking at his feet. Joe decided to put his friend out of his misery. So what's going on, Dan? Joe asked. Dan sighed. I don't think you're going to believe me, Dan answered. Try me, Joe said. It's been a crazy night. And that part was true, not more than an hour ago. He had been called up to the high school. The school janitor, one, Ricardo Bessa, reported that he had seen a naked girl in one of the classrooms, just sitting on a desk. Joe had gotten an almost endless ribbing from Cheryl, the dispatcher, about the call, but went to check it out anyway. As Joe pulled up to the high school, he could tell almost immediately that something wasn't right. There was a car, a rather expensive car by the look of it, wrapped around a tree out front. Joe feared the worst, and told Cheryl to stop joking around, and get an ambulance out to the high school right away. Ricardo met him at the door, and the man then led Joe to the classroom with the girl. The girl was just sitting on a desk, and she was completely naked. What the janitor hadn't told him, though, was that the girl had this weird, dreamy look on her face. Joe told Ricardo to go wait for the ambulance, and then entered the classroom. Hey, Joe called out to the girl. Name's Joe. I'm the sheriff. You have a name? The girl didn't answer. That your car out front? Joe asked now. The girl still did not answer. Joe unzipped his jacket. It's kind of cold in here, Joe said. Maybe you would like to wear my jacket and... Joe stopped. His eyes drew towards the corner of the room. Cheryl, Joe said into his radio. You better send the medical examiner too. Joe went to the girl and threw his jacket around her. He let her out. She didn't even try to fight him and walked out in a zombie-like trance. Naked high school girl, out of her mind, and a middle-aged high school teacher, dead on the floor. It didn't take a genius to figure out what had happened, or at least what he believed had happened. Guy must have drugged her, but OD'd on his own supply, Joe thought, and shook his head. It could have just as easily been Emily. Mr. Frank, he said under his breath. His daughter had mentioned him in the meeting with the principal. The paper airplanes scattered across the floor confirmed the man's identity. Sick bastard, Joe thought, as he shut the door behind him. Back in the present, Dan stared at him. Sorry, Joe said, thinking about something else. So, what's going on? Might be better just to show you, Dan answered quietly. Dan signaled for Joe to follow. You know, Dan, you're kind of creeping me out here, Joe said as they walked. Can't you at least give me a hint about what's going on? Found one of your missing boys, the younger man said. Please let it be Billy, Joe prayed. Billy's mom had been calling the station almost non-stop since her son had disappeared. Joe figured both Billy and Trunk had taken off for greener pastures and probably would come back as soon as they ran out of money. And good riddance, as far as Joe was concerned. The two of them were nothing but trouble. Well, to be fair... Trunk was relatively harmless without Billy to goad him on. But the Zebo woman wouldn't hear it. To her, her Billy was an angel. Who could do no wrong? Still alive, I hope, Joe said. Oh, yeah, Dan said, nodding slowly. The two men entered the grove and then stopped. Huh? Joe said in disbelief. Dan had found Trunk all right, and he wasn't alone. A girl, who Joe had never seen before, was with him and how both boy and girl were engaged in a very intimate situation. Huh? Joe said again in disbelief. I ordered them to stop, Dan confessed, several times, but they just ignored me. I even thought about firing my gun into the air, just to get their attention, you know. Joe slowly nodded, but then I realized I'd have to fill out a report as to why I discharged my weapon. Dan continued, and I'd be a complete laughingstock if this came out. So, I called you. Joe tapped the younger man on the shoulder. You did the right thing, Joe said, reassuring his friend. How long have they been going at it? Ah, well, the younger man began, talking to his feet again. I found them about an hour ago. Drugs, you think, Joe offered? Yeah, Dan answered. I imagine so. Right, Joe said now. Guess we better pull them off each other. Want to flip a coin? Dan suggested. Fortunately, the girl was on top because the prospect of having to move a 300-pound boy really didn't appeal to either one of them. Fortunately, too, Dan lost the coin toss. Joe watched with admittedly some amusement as the younger man grabbed the girl around the belly, pulled her back, and then down to the ground. Now, the girl howled, and almost immediately began kicking and clawing at Dan. Joe rushed to his friend's side, but it still took both men to hold the girl down, so Dan could finally get the cuffs on her. She fought them every step of the way, with a strength that belied her delicate frame. Let me go! Let me go! The girl screamed, and began kicking at them again. Dan had had enough, and whipped out his teaser. The jolts left the girl twitching. Now that the fight had been taken out of her, Joe could finally get a good look at the girl. She was a skinny girl, but had some pretty impressive assets, all of which were topped off by straight black hair that reached down to her shoulders. She looked familiar, but Joe couldn't quite place her. A prostitute, maybe? Dan roughly pulled the girl to her feet. Joe emptied out his pockets and threw his coat over the girl. Why don't you put her in my car, Joe said. She's probably local. Oh, thank God, Dan cried. Joe handed over the keys to his car and now turned to the boy. Trunk was a big kid, but not as dumb as people thought. When Trunk and Billy had assaulted Martin, Joe had brought the two boys in for questioning. Joe separated the boys and questioned Billy first. Billy just laughed and then said, good, I hope the fucker is dead. Trunk, on the other hand, had turned out to be something of a gentle giant. He almost immediately apologized, and his concern for Martin's well-being sounded sincere and genuine. I didn't mean to hurt him, Trunk said. The boy had a noticeable lisp. Lee is the one who started it, Trunk confessed. She got all offended at the beginning of the school year and asked me to deal with Martin. He probably called her a bitch or something, and she can be a bitch sometimes. Joe offered the boy a soda, which Trunk eagerly took and gulped it down. I thought we were just going to scare him a little, Trunk continued. Leah seemed happy with that, but Billy kept wanting to do more, kept wanting to hurt Martin. I didn't want to, but he's my only friend. Trunk sobbed a little, and Joe felt sorry for the boy. Everybody thinks I'm stupid, Trunk cried. The only reason I bombed my football tryouts was because I didn't want to be on the team. My dad made me try out, but all those guys on the team, they just made fun of me. Joe nodded. Sometimes I just want to get into my car and drive, drive until I find a place where no one knows me. We all feel like that sometimes, Joe said. I know I did when I was your age. Trunk slowly nodded. Am I going to jail? Trunk asked. No, Joe said. Martin's not pressing charges. Trunk lowered his head in shame. Hey, Joe said. Do me a favor. Don't pick on Martin anymore. He's been through a lot, you know. I'm sure you can understand that, right? Trunk nodded. Great, Joe said. Well, you and Billy are free to go. Trunk stood up, but he continued to stare down at the floor, even as Joe opened the door for him. Trunk made it a third of the way down the hall before Joe caught up to him again. Wait a minute, Joe said. He'd almost called the boy Trunk, but caught himself, just in time. Clarence Williams III, Joe reminded himself. That was Trunk's real name. Clarence, let me give you my card. Trunk took it and looked up at Joe, confused. If you ever need someone to talk to, Joe offered. Just give me a call, and I'll promise I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Trunk brightened a little. Joe patted him on the back and led him out of the station. Outside... Billy waited for them. Trunk quickly pocketed the card. Take care now, Joe said. Stay out of trouble. As soon as Joe turned his back, he heard Billy say, What? Are you and the sheriff gay for each other now? Then Billy laughed, his shrill, high-pitched laugh. Back in the present, Joe looked down at Trunk. Trunk in turn looked down in shame. The boy's face beamed red, and now Joe could see why. Trunk had an enormous erection, which he tried to hide with his shirt. Dan came back, and Joe quickly took the state trooper aside. Let me talk to him, Joe said. The kid knows me, but could you get him a blanket? Dan nodded and headed over to his patrol car, stopping only to give Joe back his keys. It's going to be okay, Joe said. Dan returned with the blanket, and Joe wrapped it around the boy. Joe stepped back, so that he was again facing Trunk. Clarence, Joe began. The boy looked up. Some of the red had drained away from his face, but like the girl, there were dark circles under his eyes. This is my friend, Dan Harmony, Joe said, from the state trooper's office. You're not in trouble, Dan added. We just need to ask you a few questions. Trunk slowly nodded. Clarence, Joe began. Can you tell me who the girl is? Billy, Trunk answered, his voice dry and raspy. Billy, Joe asked. Billy who? Billy... Trunk repeated. Billy Zebbo? Dan asked. Joe shook his head. Clarence, that's not Billy, Joe said. Although, when Joe thought about it, the girl did look an awful lot like the missing boy. Skinny, same facial features, same high, shrill voice. Could that girl be Billy's long lost sister? A cousin, maybe? Can you tell me what happened to your friend, Billy? Joe asked, making sure to emphasize the your friend part trunk suddenly winced. It hurts, trunk cried. It hurts so much. Now it was Dan's turn to take Joe aside. Let me take him to County General, Dan said. They're both high on something. We're not going to get anything out of them right now. Reluctantly, Joe agreed. Joe turned back to trunk. Clarence, Joe said now, Dan is going to take you to the hospital and we're going to get you some help, okay? Joe helped trunk to his feet and then gave the boy a shoulder to lean on as they walked over to Dan's car. Joe again felt sorry for Trunk. Based on the boy's expression alone, every step looked painful for him. Joe helped Trunk into the back seat of Dan's patrol car, but held the door open for a moment. Clarence, Joe said, when you're feeling better, give me a call. I want to help you if I can. Do you still have my card? Trunk nodded and then winced in pain again. Joe couldn't stand to see the boy suffering any more, and shut the car door. Take care of him, Dan, Joe said, and then sighed. I think I'm the only one looking after him. Joe flashed the trooper a sad smile, and then waved as he walked back to his car. Joe climbed into his car and sighed again. Sheriff, a soft, feminine voice said behind him. Joe nearly jumped. He'd forgotten all about the girl in the back seat. The girl curled her full lips into a suggestive smile. No one ever told me it would be like this, the girl sighed. So many emotions all at once. It's exhilarating. In the rearview mirror, Joe watched as the girl licked her lips. I'm so horny, the girl cried, her voice low and sultry. She leaned back. The jacket lay open and Joe could see the curve of the girl's breasts. It's different for a girl, you know, the girl said now. It's like a million fireworks going off inside of you all at once. Joe started the car, and the engine roared into life. He had to back up, but that would mean having to look at the girl again. Instead, Joe did his best to use the driver's side mirror to guide him out of the grove. For a boy, the girl continued, it's all about the mechanics. Put your dick in some tight, wet hole and thrust until you get your rocks off. Joe made it out of the forest and now pulled into traffic. Admittedly, he was probably going a little faster than he should be. But for a girl, it's like this intense need to be close to someone, she said. And when the boy puts his thing inside of you, she sighed heavily. It hurts at first, like this pressure building up inside of you, the girl continued, and it continues to hurt as he thrusts inside of you over and over again. It's a little like dying, really, but your body laps it up, especially if he's rough. You cry out for the boy to hurt you more and moan at him to make it stop. The girl sighed again, her breath making her breasts rise and fall. Then it ends, it always ends, too soon. But the relief you feel, it's like a dam bursting inside of you. Joe ran a red light and showed no signs of slowing down, even as he pulled into town. But that's not even the best part, the girl said now, her voice shaky. The best part is when the boy lets go, shooting his lust inside of you. It always catches you off guard and your body jumps a little as you feel his sin fill you up. It triggers something primal inside of you, and your pussy takes over. First it gets tight around his cock, and then the muscles inside your body work the shaft, milking it, making sure to get every last drop. After that, you'll do anything for him, because he's made you his bitch. The station was just ahead. The girl sank down and spread open her legs. Her tiny slit looked very tight and even more inviting. Joe did his best to keep his eyes focused on the road. I love being a girl, she said, suggestively licking her lips again. But I know what men like, she moaned softly. And I can't get enough. The car came to an abrupt stop in front of the station. Why don't you come back here, Sheriff? The girl offered. I'll do anything you want. You want me to suck your dick? You want to shove it up my ass? Do it. Make me scream. Joe sighed and then got out of the car. He ran around to the back and pulled the girl out. She started to laugh, a high, shrill laugh that sounded all too familiar. The rest of it was a blur. He vaguely remembered taking the girl into the station and then locking her into one of the holding cells. Did he tell dispatch to place a call to social services? He hoped so. What he does remember is going outside again and the cool night air feeling so good against his burning face. Joe soon hopped into his patrol car again and then drove, not sure where he was going. The experience left him badly rattled. He couldn't stop thinking about the girl. He knew it was wrong. The girl was his daughter's age, for Christ's sakes. And it was more than likely that she would have bit his dick off, rather than suck it. Still, still, he had been sorely tempted. Now more than ever, he wished that he and Rosie were still together. But Rosie had told him that she needed a break. He wasn't really surprised, as Rosie had been acting really weird lately. Always busy, never had any time for him. Joe wondered if it was because he'd asked for her help with Emily. Joe thought of Rosie now, thought of her big, full breasts, and knew if the chief was here right now, he'd fuck her so hard that she would scream herself raw. He couldn't take it anymore and pulled over to the side of the road. He breathed hard, so hard that he couldn't catch his breath. Joe did something now that he hadn't done since he was 16 years old, but it was like picking up a bad habit, and the same shame and excitement came flooding back as he pulled his cock out of his pants and began to stroke. Joe imagines himself with that strange, crazy girl. She sat naked before him, and her full lips were wrapped around his hard cock. At the same time, he had buried his face in between Rosie's wonderful tits, his tongue licking her breasts as he slowly made his way to her hard, sharp nipples. His pace quickened as the scene in his mind changed. The girl had straddled him, his hard cock buried deep into her tiny slit, squeezing him tight. She rode him, crying out and not able to get enough. Rosie, meanwhile, sat on his face, her sweet juices pouring into his mouth, even as his tongue probed the most intimate part of her body. Joe sighed, he was going to come, and inside his mind, he imagined the crazy girl, jumping a little, as his cum poured into her, making her his bitch. But at the last second, his mind played a nasty trick on him, as an image of his daughter flashed before him. A memory of her, in a thin t-shirt. The t-shirt had been so thin, that he had had a clear view of her breasts, underneath the fabric. Then he came, the load splashing all over the bottom of his shirt and dripping down onto his pants. She looks just like her mother, doesn't she? A voice at the back of his mind taunted him. Joe shook these thoughts away and then reached into the glove box. He pulled out a package of sanitation wipes and cleaned himself up as best he could. Joe suddenly caught his reflection in the rearview mirror. His face was a beet red, making him look guilty as sin. Sheriff! The radio buzzed. He jumped at the sound. Sheriff! The radio buzzed again. Joe quickly zipped up his pants and then picked up the mic. Go ahead, he said, but his voice sounded raspy to his own ears. I have your daughter here, Cheryl began. The line went silent for a moment. This is all some crazy dream, Joe thought. Has to be. Danny, Emily said over the radio. Emily, he said, but his voice still sounded a little shaky. It's Martin. Emily said. Something happened to him. What did he do? Joe asked. Did he hurt you? No, she answered with a slight hitch in her voice. I think he was trying to protect me. Joe breathed a sigh of relief. She's safe. His daughter is safe. Martin needs our help, Emily sobbed. He's changed. He... She was crying so hard that she couldn't even finish. How has he changed, sweetheart? Joe asked. He was in full dad mode now his previous sins forgotten. I don't even know how to tell you. Emily answered, sobbing hysterically. Just talk to me, Joe said. Whatever it is, I'll believe you. He's changed, she said, still sobbing. Changed into a wolf. The radio mic fell out of Joe's hand. How many times had he had seen this exact scenario play out? Too many to count. He'd been a horror movie buff for most of his life. He knew the story by heart. Evil comes to a small town, bringing chaos in its wake, and a lonely, troubled kid at the center of it all. A kid who's been picked on all his life, and now he's going to get even. Bizarre happenings and strange deaths follow. At first, there's kind of a poetic justice to it all, but the kid quickly gets in over his head, and a lone sheriff is the only one who can put a stop to it. All the signs were there, Joe thought. How could I have been so blind? But that's always how it is, right? The sheriff only realizes what's happening in the final act. His heart raced. Now more than ever, Joe just wanted to drive, and keep driving, until he came to a place where no one knew his name. A place where he wasn't Sheriff Joe, just Joe Schmoe. Daddy? Emily's voice whined over the radio. Daddy? She called out again, more desperate this time. Joe said a prayer. Please, God, he thought. God or whoever you are, leave my daughter out of this. Daddy, Emily called out for a third time. She was starting to sob again. Joe reached down and picked up the microphone. I'm here, Joe said. Please, Daddy, Emily cried. Please, please don't hurt him. I love him. Love him so much. I know you do, sweetheart, Joe said. The words had a hard time getting past the lump in his throat. I know you do. Be strong for her, he told himself. You're going to need to be strong for her. I'm here, Joe said, trying his best to sound calm. I'll take care of it, okay? Okay, Emily answered, her voice barely above a whisper. I want you to stay at the station, all right, Joe said. He expected his daughter to protest, but she simply said, I will. I love you, Emily, he said now. Emily started to say something back, but all he heard was radio static. He decided that was probably for the best. Joe put the radio mic back into its cradle and then started the car. A few seconds later, he pulled into traffic. Tonight, he would be his daughter's hero. Still, Joe couldn't shake the feeling that if he survived the night, come the morning, he was going to break his daughter's heart.